Um, hello. Uh, I just want to first say thanks to Aideen, Kelly and Fiek for the kind invitation. Um, it's both an honour and slightly humbling to be here. Um, and I have a mother who, if she were alive, she'd be kind of chuffed by the fact. Um, so thank you for that. I just want to just to lay out a little bit what I'm going to talk about uh, in the time that I've allotted. Um, as somebody who can speak a lot and actually needing to be disciplined about that, that I'm going to read a little bit, but most of the time I'm going to talk to what I'm going to show and what you're going to hear. I just want to lay out a little bit also of a preamble in terms of regarding uh, the project that I'm going to speak about, which is related to a series of events marking the last year's centenary of the Dublin lockout. In many ways, looking at the past, but to think about the present and possible futures and also a project that in many ways continues a cycle of research projects that I've undertaken addressing the predatory context resulting from migrations of global capital. Um, so it involves ideas around photographs, video, text and audio, but I'm going to focus just on particular elements of that towards the end regarding the installation. Karl Marx had talked about capitalism seeking everything to be recreated in its image. And I would argue in terms of contemporary neoliberal capitalism that the market seeks everything, I mean everything, to be recreated in its image. And so in that regard, I borrow from the anthropologist Karen Ho in America and her notion of the, the market as a construct. So that idea then of performance, the market as performance and the role of optics. And so within such a context, working as an artist, as a photographer, in terms of sort of distilling some idea of a counter-globality or counter-narrative, and ideas of studying up to study power, and then one's role then as a, a researcher, a practitioner, as an activist. And this becomes very important in thinking about, there's been a lot of discussion of post-2007 and 2008, but I would argue as somebody who's engaged with these themes for the last 15, 16 years, about the pre-existence for the conditions of the crisis in which we find ourselves. And that actually what we witness and continue to do, I don't necessarily subscribe to what we're hearing at the moment about some sort of return to the old days, but the pre-existence of the crisis, and that actually we're witnessing the evolution of global capitalism in our globalised world, and that actually the conditions pre-existed the crisis, yes? So the pre-existence of the conditions, or sorry, the pre-existence of the conditions of the, of the so-called crisis, and actually in many ways the crisis is in social democracy. It's in the social contract in citizenship. Um, I'm conscious too of the title of this forum, and I'm struck by an analyst who I spoke in London with last year who talked about that the market has a history, but the market has no memory. In the context of where we find ourselves, I do want to just acknowledge the supporters of this project um, in terms of the times of austerity and cutting to cultural funding and the importance of that funding. Um, my partner in crime in this project, who can't be here today unfortunately, is Helen Carey, the director of the Limerick City Gallery of Art, who was a great facilitator in building solidarities around this project in the form of funding through the Arts Council, Belfast Exposed, Gallery Photography, Arts Council of Northern Ireland, CCA Derry, London Derry, Palace Projects and the Limerick City Gallery of Art. And in the context where last year the Ministry of Arts in Portugal was closed within 24 hours, that it's important, I think, to acknowledge those cultural institutions. I'd like to just start with a short extract of, uh, of audio.
So uh, actually, that is Michael Noonan, and I'll come back to actually why he takes that form uh, later in this uh, discussion. Okay. Minister of Finance, I apologise, yes. Um, in the context of the centenary of the 1913 Dublin lockout and the aftermath of the global economic collapse and the continuing evolutionary context of neoliberal capitalism, the implicit critical resonance of exclusion, omission and invisibility regarding labour and its defining relationship to capital remains ever pertinent, indeed ever urgent. One way of thinking about globalization today, asserts the sociologist Saskia Sassen, is as unsettlement of economies, policies, cultures, and imaginations, end of quote. Such structural destabilization, an overarching context for a cycle of projects I've undertaken, invokes a multi-layered, multi-dimensional theoretical image of globalization, of interdependence, fixedness, and fluidity, permanence matched with fragility, liquidity, underlining profound precarity and vulnerability, and where within such an ephemeral environment the everyday of the citizen. The condition of precarity and vulnerability as an outcome of the functioning of neoliberal capitalism holds essential research significance. As Aaron Apadurai, the anthropologist, stated in 2000, global capital in its contemporary form is characterized by strategies of predatory mobility across about time and space that have vastly compromised the capacities of actors, I would say citizens, in single locations even to understand, much less anticipate or resist these strategies. Though nation states vary in how and whether they are mere instruments of global capital, they have certainly been eroded as sites of political, economic and cultural sovereignty. Critically, therefore, the research project, The Market, has sought to access the sites of the global stock and commodity markets, which hold a defining role regarding that relationship between labour and capital and indeed its abstraction, and by which all the other research to date has been decisively framed. I want to just reference uh, the title of a project I undertook, actually, the Hewlett-Packard plant, uh, which was the inspiration, which came from a man called Peter Hartz, who was the former chairman of Volkswagen. Hartz wrote a book in which was titled The Company That Breeds Every Job Has a Customer. In that, the central thesis was that it follows the pulse speed of the market and can change over to six or seven days of production overnight. When the production process becomes flexible, then working hours and working conditions must also become flexible, not only on the factory level. The new breathing rhythm must make also headway on the social level, the time rhythm of society, the labour market, the educational system and the remaining institutions of the welfare state. The target is a breeding factory. So many ways as I undertook this project uh, at the Hewlett-Packard complex in Leakslip, it was also to think about this space as an allegory for the nation state, uh, a small nation state on the periphery of Europe, but also sort of resonance for other nation states in particular sort of circumstance. So as somebody who thinks a lot about visual representation, and particularly also media representation and media narratives, one becomes a hoarder, maybe by some of the rest of you in this room, uh, sort of hoarding documents, papers, and so forth. And so where we, as a country, were the poster child of globalization, we then became the poster child of austerity. So here's the cover from Time magazine in uh, October 2012 that was produced for a European audience. And what's important here is to think about the visual representation and the notion of optics and the notion actually of performance. This is a time uh, from actually this time last year as Ireland again took the EU presidency. This is from Davos. 
Some of you may have heard of this. This is, happens actually very shortly up the side of a Swiss mountain. You need to have the means to get up to the side of a Swiss mountain in January because it's small. The idea is that it's remote. Up to about five years ago, you know, this was sort of a place where the political, economic, and agreeing element of the cultural elite met and gathered to talk about the world. This has now become a sort of media event. And so what's important here is somebody who likes to think about ideas of visibility, to be always mindful that something can become vis visible but actually remain invisible. So again, the sort of optics and performance. So here after breakfast, both Enda, Kenny, and Michael Noonan are banging a gong a gong to open the European markets at a time when we had no financial sovereignty and indeed no access to those markets. <laughs> Why I think this is important to understand about that performance, because there's been a lot of discussion about where this country finds itself now, and actually why I've concluded this, these are actually two hedge fund managers from a hedge fund in California who presently possess most of Ireland's debt. They're also the largest holders of Ukraine's debt, which is presently bankrupt. They're aggressive and in terms of their functioning, but again, ideas are sort of visibility. They're hedging on a country to do well, but what we need to understand at the moment is that the world's central banks are holding up the markets. So the performance becomes very important uh, in terms of thinking that, in terms of the media narratives we're being fed every day in this country at the moment regarding our circumstance. Because it's necessary to think about the conditions of that circumstance. And thinking about the notion then of the breathing factory, about how the nation state itself becomes commodified. So there's been a lot of banging gongs and ringing bells. This is March 2012, around Paddy's Day, when again the political and economic elite travel to America. This is a Monday morning, and this is on the balcony overlooking the New York Stock Exchange. And so here we have the political and economic elite looking down onto a floor, onto something that actually we have no access to, ringing a bell, and in which actually the Irish Republic is no longer the Irish Republic, but it's Ireland Incorporated. And what's important to understand at this time as well is actually a report was released by the Irish government in December 2012 in which it referred to the inhabitants, the citizens of this country, as consumers. Uh, this is a photograph by, to return then to this sort of the premise in terms of thinking about uh, the project by Andreas Gursky, a German photographer from the Chicago Board of Trade. It talks about the abstraction of global capital in one way in terms of visual representation and is the starting point for uh, the anthropologist at NYU, Kathleen Zalum's uh, research into traders and technology in Chicago and London. She talks about the role of abstraction and the role of abstraction in this particular photograph. This is a function capital embraces as a strategy which impinges transparency, further emphasized in the contemporary context of technological evolutions regarding the labor of traders and the administrative structures surrounding these spheres and their possible future abstraction, and something I'll return to later. Salum reasserts the necessity to look closer and in greater detail at the apparatus of the global market. Markets are objects of inquiry into the culture and economy of contemporary capitalism. Today, the world's powerful financial centers are the ones that need explanation. The mysteries of the markets touch our lives, but few outside the financial profession understand them. So kind of a rationale in terms of trying to understand these fears, but actually sort of framing my own research practice is something that actually, if I go back, this is from Sony Batter in 1998, where after a conversation with my neighbor Kathleen, in which the first of four generations wouldn't be able to afford to live in this area, as the process of gentrification began to take hold, it was a small series 
sort of looking at whose future. So it was about children at dusk, at always cranes uh, that appeared at this time on the Dublin skyline and the sort of utopic aspirations. I have a young son now, Jakob, who's six years of age. And uh, while I was doing a uh, presentation recently, he asked me who this boy was. And I said, I don't know. But I realize now, and the benefit of hindsight, this boy is probably about 19 or 20. He may still be in Dublin, but at the rate of what they talk about, still at 1,700 pe young people a week are leaving this country. So in terms of the utopic aspirations that were being vetted at this particular time, and actually what became, as we know, is our present reality. So continuing a project that kind of explored critically at this time from Southern Cross from 1999-2001, the space of development and finance, to the aforementioned breathing factory in the Hewlett-Packard complex, where Mark, a shift room supervisor in 2003, talked about the fool's economy, the false economy, or the fool's paradise. To a project I undertook in the former East Germany that talks about futures, in terms of actually, that also in terms of part of the former East Germany, which is basically economically devastated since the fall of the Berlin Wall, and where most urban centres in the former East look like streets in Athens, Lisbon, parts of Dublin, the main street of Don Leary near where I teach and have done so for the last 20 years. It also problematised the media narrative about some sort of German superpower that's economically, in their words, goose step around Europe. I would argue the capital has no national identity. So returning to this project, there was an element of thinking about looking at the structures that survey these. So in 1972, Laura Nader, anthropologist, appealed for a critically repatriated anthropology by studying up, principally studying the most powerful strata of urban society. Instead of asking why some people are poor, we would ask why other people are so affluent. So in terms of thinking about our role as photographers, artists, writers, and I've included today playwrights, researchers, as activists, in terms of thinking about our global circumstance, a necessity to think about studying the structures of power. And this brings methodological issues because the powerful don't want to be accessed unless it's kind of controlled. So regarding this project, to, to sort of access sites and individuals has taken on average 100 or 1.5 years. And that brings with the general thing about, you know, why bother just to give up? But there's a necessity in some ways to persevere. And understanding also that access can have meaning, that actually it's a state of relation, and that actually it embodies meaning in and of itself. So even when I had the, you know, the grateful support of the Department of Foreign Affairs, where I had a letter from the Irish ambassador to Germany asking for Deutsche Börse in Frankfurt to give access, they ultimately said no. This became important then thinking about documenting that process in and of itself and actually in the context where that actually you may recognize the white circles from television reports and they describe this as the Frankfurt Stock Exchange but actually the Burza which owns this describe it as the television studio. So what you're witnessing in some ways is the theatrical, the sort of televisual media backdrop for the performance of the market. And this is sort of pervaded all sort of times. This is primarily a monitoring station. The Deutsche Börse itself actually is outside of Frankfurt in a small town that actually moved there for tax reasons, which again problematized that idea of capital having some inherent national identity. So this is slightly the uh, dystopian underbelly of these processes in the context where the market possibly seeks everything to be recreated in its image. In terms of the technological evolution, 
This is the cover of a report by the British Office of Science from 2012, their foresight group. We do many different things, but it's made up of academics and other experts talking about the role of high-speed trading and computer trading in the financial services. In their opinion, in a decade, there'll basically be little or no traders uh, working in this sphere. That would mainly be done by things by black boxes and algorithms. Um, Aideen was asking me again earlier about sort of a definition of an algorithm. There are many variations, but if I can give you a sort of simple definition, an algorithm is basically a mathematical model that takes in large amounts of data, analyzes that data, and makes a decision upon it. Uh, it's in the context where, thinking about our circumstance, that uh, we're about to enter a period where actually we're going to see a big shift in artificial intelligence and the impact in terms of our, our world and how we live and how we operate, indeed how we're expected to work or indeed not to work. So this is kind of important. In part of that element that they describe this idea of the normalization of deviance. This is where they're also saying the future will be things called genetic algorithms. These are algorithms that will basically make decisions on their own experiences. So even those individuals that maybe design these algorithms, possibly in the future in large cases, will not be necessary or needed. And they talk within the possibility when that, that where these may make decisions that may not be in the best interests and actually could be ultimately to things that are catastrophic and irreversible. Why that is important to understand is they work in nanoseconds, and literally you're talking where the wealth of a nation could be erased in a nanosecond. So you're also talking about elements of geopolitical instability. Another extreme example to think about the normalization of deviance is to think about doctors that worked in Auschwitz under the Hippocratic Oath and normalized the deviance to send people into gas chambers. So one of me got to me think a little bit about the sort of whole role of the markets was this idea of normalizing deviance because we know it's dysfunctional. That's a banker will tell you that. We know it's structurally dysfunctional. So in terms of the whole apparatus and the sort of complicity within nation states to actually normalize something that's possibly deviant in the context also of the idea of the new normal. This is something that Manuel Barroso talked about in September last year, and actually Brendan Howland referenced actually in the budget in December. This idea of some idea of a new normal, that actually in the conditions in which we're expected to live and to sort of operate will need to shift on less, expect less, and so forth. So this became important in, the, in terms of the installation. I'm aware of time. Um, I have a brother who writes code for a living, Ken, and he's also a composer. So what we did was actually downloaded the speeches uh, made by Michael Noonan since he took office. And then Ken wrote an algorithm that identified every time he used the word market or markets. And what you heard earlier was then turn that data into the audio. So the idea at the moment is to understand this, that at the moment 80% of all trading in the United States is done by algorithms. So algorithms actually send out signals. So even right now, there are actually signals in the air that actually are defining our future. It's important to understand when a banker, a trader says to me, you've no money in your education system, that's us. You've no money system in your health system, that's us. I make a decision that costs 5,000 jobs, that's what I do. So it's important to understand how this technology works and men may be faced, you've got to sit for eight hours in the A&E because of that particular processes. So the direct relationship between the sort of abstract in some ways to make it audible uh, in some ways becomes increasingly important.
So in the installation, this became the immersive audio soundscape to the complete installation. It was literally meant to be tangible, to be felt on the skin. Um, and in terms of, I'll just pick out certain elements regarding the installation, where again, this is the paper trail and documentation around the Deutsche Börse in Frankfurt. And where in Belfast, it was the speeches of George Osborne. And this uh, work will be shortly installed in two weeks at the Centre Culturel Irlandais, and where there it will be the speeches of the French Minister of Finance. So again, we're talking about the relationship between global capital, the nation state, and the nation state as a conduit for this particular process. Central also to the installation was actually the words of the individuals that I met. So bankers, traders, analysts. And so they appeared in their completed form as complete transcripts. What struck me about this particular apparatus and sort of looking at different particular locations was the role of fear. This was something that I understood from my work at Hewlett Packard in terms of sort of the conditions of global labor and global labor practices was the role of precarity and vulnerability. Um, and somehow or another, I taught going in, as it were, the belly of the beast, that somehow or another this would, would be less. But what one realizes is actually the fear is amplified and is actually critical to its functioning. Because I would ask us all to think about, about our circumstance um, and how the very thing that we know that has brought such devastation, and the Financial Times, for instance, described what had happened in Ireland as a human disaster, that actually we still want to maintain and keep with this narrative. You know, there seems a madness to this, that actually we know it's the functional, we know it's a thing that sort of frames our circumstance, but it's kind of represented as the only game in town. So within that, actually, in terms of talking about the condition of this particular, and what I need to say is actually that's not some sort of Marxist-inflected left sort of thing, it's actually a banker will say the same thing. Traders have said the same thing to me. So this is not about left or right, but actually an understanding of the structural conditions of its functioning. And so even with individuals who agreed to contribute to the project anonymously, and in which even their geographic location was, I didn't include this, they asked for sections of their transcripts to be removed. So they remain in place. So the gaps remain, the silences remain, in terms of actually also talking about the circumstance and functioning condition of this particular sphere. I'm almost done, Fiek. <laughs> uh, if I wanted to just sort of say is that I don't want to be completely dystopian about this, is that I also traveled to Addis Ababa, uh, to the Ethiopian Commodity Exchange that opened in 2008. And what's interesting about the ECX is that they regulate, and it's a non-profit exchange. So in terms of actually exploring the idea of capital on the, on the continent of Africa, it maybe offers another narrative. So trading in coffee, Bethlehem holds an MA in economics and is the youngest trader at the ECX. Following the making of her portrait a few days later, she spoke passionately and at length about the potential through the activities at the exchange to profoundly transform the economic context of her country. If ECX were working for a profit, the whole situation would be different, she said. The risk ECX would take would be different. ECX wouldn't be taking the risks it takes now. It is good that this ethos continues. Ever since I was a little girl, I wanted to be part of some revolutionary moment or movement, and this is one. So working here is unique in our country, becoming the new face of Ethiopia. Bethlehem's inclusion of the word revolutionary was striking in the context of the apparatus of capital. And when I pressed her on the application of this term, she simply replied, but it is. Such an encounter in relation to the functioning and ethos of this market framework appeared to allude to the complexities embodied in the term the market. 
Central to the functioning of capitalism, the term inspires media descriptions due to our global economic circumstance of fear and are to be at the mercy of. Significantly, the framework presently installed at Addis Ababa appears to offer other possible descriptions. However, the revolutionary optimism offered there seems rare, as the narrative of momentum, exclusion, and abstraction surrounding the functioning of capital pervades. And this was also referenced in terms of their role of technology in the future. And I will just finish with this. This was something we installed at the Limerick uh, uh, City Gallery of Art and at Belfast Exposed. In 2010, a researcher in uh, Chicago looked at one nanosecond and one global stock. And he analyzed that 14,000 positions were taken on that particular stock. He said if you were to print out that data, it would be a six-foot-high column of A4 paper. And so that's what we did here. I think what's interesting in the time intervened, actually that column may be actually twice the size of that. And on each sheet of paper running all the way through that column is a short extract from a conversation I had with a trader as he worked his screens in London in which he said, what people don't understand is that what happens in the market is pivotal to their lives, not in the periphery, but slap bang in the middle. Thank you.